Well, hello, Christ Community Online. Tim Spanberg here, campus pastor in Shawnee. So glad you're tuning uh, in with us here for Sunday, August 2nd. Uh, hopefully, you just got a chance to see that video of our building opening a couple weeks ago, which was an amazing uh, moment. Uh, some really key people there. Um, exciting times uh, for us. Um, also, just wanted to let you know if you're continuing to watch us um, here online, uh, we're going to be exploring a number of different ways uh, in the future. For now, it's just the sermon uh, again, uh, but we're continuing to look for ways to add more elements to our Sunday morning um, service. So with that, um, our text for this morning is Luke chapter 16, um, verses 19 through 31. Uh, so I'm going to read the text for us. Uh, then I'm going to pray, um, and then we'll jump into our sermon for this morning. So Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torments, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, Lazarus in like, ma in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, what is between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him away to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, this is a, an intense parable that invites us to some pretty deep reflection. So Spirit, lead us as we reflect on this text. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I first started preparing for this sermon series on the Gospel of Luke about a year ago, uh, there was a question that just confronted me, that stayed with me, that haunted me. It seemed in every story that I read. And the question was, was this. What am I living for? Is my life actually built on the teachings, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth? Or am I living for something else? Am I living for myself? Or have I actually radically reoriented my existence around uh, Jesus? 
And that's a question that Luke forces on his readers again and again and again. And I want us to ask that question today. What am I living for? What is the guiding vision for my life? Like, I want you to write that question down. What am I living for? But here's the thing. We all know the right answer to that question is supposed to be Jesus. Right? That's the right answer to this question, which is why uh, Luke doesn't frame that question in his gospel so simply or so easily for us. He takes us on a journey uh, first, and, and it's actually in sort of a couple chapter journey, starting in Luke 15 with the parable of the prodigal son. It continued uh, last week in what Joseph preached in the parable of the shrewd manager. And now it's here in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. A parable about judgments, about final consequences for how we answer that question, what am I living for? Jesus is raising the stakes here because he wants you to answer that question, to ask that question of yourself. What is it that I'm living for? And to take that question seriously. To not just give a Sunday school answer, yeah, it's, I live for Jesus, that's right. No, 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 To actually enter in and reflect on that question. And so here's how we're going to reflect on that question together today is, is, is Jesus really lays out two tests for how you can know what it is you're living for in this parable. Two tests. And so to determine uh, what those tests are, let's look at the parable. And uh, Jesus in this parable presents us with two characters, with uh, the rich man and with Lazarus. And Jesus just, what he does is he uh, shares a number of different contrasts between these two men. There's four I want to pull out. First, there's a contrast in what they wore. The rich man was told was clothed in purple and fine linen. Uh, now this word fine linen, it was a type of wool that was very, uh, very wealthy clothing. And then fi- uh, purple was the most expensive type of dye that you could have. And so this basically, like the guy was dressed, he didn't go to Kohl's for his clothes, right? He was dressed in the richest possible clothing you could have. How was the poor, how was Lazarus dressed? We're not told about his clothes. We're just told he was covered with sores. So they're different in how they dress. They're also different in what they eat. The rich man, we're told, feasted sumptuously every day. Now this word, feasted sumptuously, it, listen, this isn't just like, hey man, I, I get Casey Joe's every day, right? Burnt uh, ends, ribs. That's not what, actually, this is a, a feasting word. It's the same word used four times in Luke 15 uh, to describe the feast that the father gave to his son who returned. So another, this is a once-in-a-lifetime feast. And this man eats a once-in-a-lifetime feast every day. What does Lazarus eat? Well, he desired to eat from the scraps of the rich man's daily once-in-a-lifetime feast, but he wasn't given anything. In fact, it's worse than that. We're told that... uh, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, I used to read that and think, like, that's the family pet coming to lick you and make you feel better. That's not what's going on here. Actually, this, this poor man, uh, Lazarus, has actually become food for stray dogs. Licking the sores actually means the dogs are coming to him for food to lick off of his wounds. It's gross, and it's, it's further abuse. 
So they're different in what they wear, they're different in what they um, eat, and they're different in where they live. The rich man, we're told, has a gate out front of his house to keep out people, especially people like Lazarus. Lazarus, on the other hand, we're told, is laid at the gate, which means he probably can't walk. He's been brought there by other people who don't want to care for him anymore. He's homeless. He's vulnerable. And the last contrast, we're told, is, is how they die. The rich man, we're told, died and was buried. Lazarus, we're told, just dies. No burial. Meaning his body was probably laid in an open grave. A final act of shame on his life. These are two completely different men. And they set up the two tests for how we answer the question, what am I living for? And I want to say the Christian response to that question is there's really only two ways to live. Way one is to live for God, for Jesus, right? The Sunday school answer. Way two is to live for myself. And there's a million different ways you can live for yourself, but there's really only two ways to live your life. Either you live with Jesus at the center or with yourself at the center. And Jesus in this parable has laid out two tests to help us discern which way we're actually living. Because we're all going to give the right answer. We're all going to give the Sunday school answer. I live for Jesus, yes, but no, 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 no. Jesus gives two tests, two questions to discern what is it that I'm actually living for. The first test is the question, what fills me? What fills me? Now, the rich man, after he dies, is clearly like shocked that he's not living in bliss anymore. And so what he does is he actually, he asks Abraham, who he sees living in bless, uh, bliss with uh, Lazarus, he asks him to come uh, to uh, have Lazarus come to him and dip his, uh, his finger in water to give uh, the rich man some relief. Now, more on that in a bit, but listen to how Abraham responds. He says, uh, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. In other words, what Abraham says to the rich man here is, listen, you lived for yourself on earth. You were filled with luxury. You were filled with comfort. You were filled with pleasure. You had your good things and they are now over. They did not carry over the grave with you. You lived for yourself when you had the chance and now you are reaping the benefits of that choice. Let that, let that sink in for a second. Self-centered consumption sent this man into judgment, into hell into torment. His love of luxury and pleasure was a clear indication that what was at the center of his life was himself, not God. Now, what do we do with this? How do we apply, how do we apply this into our own culture? Well, there's a couple things that we need to think about. One is this can, anytime we start thinking about riches and luxury and how we spend our money, it can get legalistic and weird really quick. So for example, if this man like lived in luxury and is condemned for it here, like what is luxury? I was thinking, I, I have four kids. Uh, so let me ask you, like is a double stroller luxury? All right, you can get a, a, an umbrella stroller at Walmart for probably like 20 bucks. Is a double stroller luxury when you can have, you know, four umbrella strollers rolling around for, for 20 bucks? What is that luxury? Is a jogging stroller luxury, right? I mean, that's big time. All right, so this can quickly get ridiculous and, and legalistic, and, and, and luxury, and, and luxury is, is tough to define in, in some ways. And so that's one part of the tension. But the other part of the tension is listen, we, you and I, we live in the most luxurious culture in history, period. 
And even more than that, it's not just that we live in luxury, it's that our culture is built on the idea of you do you. Follow your own heart. A culture where despite enormous wealth and luxury, the average Christian only gives about 3.8% of their income away. A culture where the idea that you would limit your freedom in order to serve another person is considered a curse. And so we need to wrestle with Jesus teaching here. Not just say, listen, I'm not like the rich man. I'm not having a once in a lifetime feast uh, every single day. That's not me. I'm not that wealthy. I'm not that rich. No, no, no. We need to listen to this parable. And so I want to I ask you some questions and invite you to meditate on them. And I hope you don't, don't hear these questions in a spirit of judgment. Hear them as, in a spirit of invitation to meditate on, on our question, what are you living for? Question one, would you be willing to let a Christian you respect, a good Christian, a person you respect, look at your income and your expenses, how much you give away, and how much you spend on yourselves? Would you be willing? If not, why not? Question two, what is, what is your lifestyle in comparison with a non-Christian who makes a similar amount of money as you? Is there any difference? Is there a meaningful difference? A difference to notice? Question three, how much of your resources, your income, do you, do you just give away to serve other people? 2%, 5%, 10%, more? See, are you starting to, to see why when I read the Gospel of Luke, I began to just ask myself, am I, is, my, is my life actually built on the teachings of Jesus? Am I living for Jesus or am I living for myself? That what fills you? Is it consumption of things? Is it pleasure? Is it your own desires? Is it getting your own way? And guys, listen, that, that's just test one, right? There's a second test. So even if you pass that, it's like, yeah, man, I'm super generous. I give tons of stuff away. I, you know, what fills me is, is service and love for other people, is, is worshiping God. That's what fills me. I am, I am detached from luxury and pleasure and comfort. Even if you pass test one, there's test two, and it, it's maybe more intense. So test two in this parable for what it is that you and I are living for is this question, is what is my response to the poor? Now here I need to back up for a second because we need to go back to Luke 4. And uh, back in February, which seems like 15 years ago uh, at this point, I preached on Luke 4. And what I said was Luke 4 is really Luke's way of saying uh, or highlighting what the central message of Jesus is going to be. It's his first sermon. And it's in his hometown. The way the text is constructed, it makes clear this is Jesus' central message. Now, if you, if you think, I don't know about that, go back and listen to that sermon where I make the case. I don't have time to make the case for that again here. But Jesus' first sermon, he quotes from Isaiah 61, which becomes the central message for Jesus in Gospels Luke. This is Jesus' message, okay? Here it is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
That's the central message of Jesus. What I said is he has come with good news for the poor. And what I pointed out is in Luke's gospel, the poor refer primarily to two people, two groups of people. First is uh, the, the socially poor, those who were considered immoral, and the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. And so, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, we're in kind of a two-chapter block of Jesus' teaching. And in Luke 15, we began with that group of people. Jesus was hanging out with sinners, with tax collectors, with uh, prostitutes. And people were like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with these types of people? And so he told the parable of the prodigal son. It's like, this is my message. My message is to people who have failed morally, to people who are outcasts in society because of their poor moral church choices, I have grace for them. I will receive them with open arms when they repent and come home. And people hated Jesus for this. They hated the fact that he gave so much of his attention to socially poor people, people who had made bad moral choices. So that's one group of poor people in Luke's gospel. And you see throughout his gospel, Jesus is eating with those people. He's spending time with those people. He's giving attention to those people. The second group of poor in Luke's gospel is the materially poor. People who are vulnerable in terms of their uh, material position. And, and this often leads to Jesus speaking very intentionally about people with physical disabilities, the blind, those who can't walk, those who are sick. And here you have a poor man who is in this category. Right, so the beginning of this block of teaching in Luke 15, Jesus speaks to the socially poor. Now he's speaking to the materially poor, most likely a man who, Lazarus, who cannot walk, who is vulnerable, who is seated at the rich man's gates. And, and Jesus makes clear that that your response to the poor is a great indication of where your eternity is headed. And listen, this isn't the only teaching where Jesus links your eternal state with your treatment of the poor. And this rich man is completely indifferent to a homeless, materially poor, physically disabled Lazarus. And listen, indifference to the poor... Indifference to the vulnerable, indifference to those with physical disabilities is the inevitable result of a life where I am at the center. Because listen, to be in community with poor people means a self-denial stance. It just does. Right? Listen, you cannot be friends with a materially poor person who might need food to eat and not give them money to eat. Like you can't just can't be in community with someone who's materially poor without giving of your resources to them. You cannot hang out with someone who is who has physical disabilities without uh, yielding your own rights to them. It might mean you lead a blind person. It might mean you learn sign language to speak to a deaf person. It might mean you have to listen a little more Carefully, or in today, you might mean that you have to, to wear a mask in order to be in community with someone who's vulnerable. And for many, that's just too high a price to pay. So let me ask, what is your posture towards the poor? Both the socially poor, the outcasts of society, those who made bad moral choices, and those who are materially poor, either through their, their own physical condition or because they are poor through poverty. What does your posture toward the poor say about what it is that you're living for? Is there money in your budget you're just ready to give away when you encounter someone with material needs? Does your life so align with the central message of Jesus that when people look at your life, they say, there is good news for the poor because of that person? Do you write people off as, as sinners 
and refuse to go near them or speak with them in mocking terms or with disdain. Again, this, this man's indifference to the poor sent him to hell. Listen, this, this is intense, but Jesus is the one saying this, right? So if you're mad at me, Jesus is saying he is telling a parable about judgment in hell where a man is, is more caught up in his own luxury and comfort and pleasure and indifferent to the poor and vulnerable. And Jesus directly links that to his own eternal state. When Abraham looks at him and says, listen, you already had your good things. You got them. You've had them. And all of the good things you invested your life in, what filled you did not carry over in the grave. So what am I living for? So point one, the two tests, what fills me and what is my response to the poor? That's, that's point one. So, so where we want to go next is, is okay, well, how does Jesus describe this cost of living for ourselves? In other words, if I answer the question, what am I living for? And I don't do so well in those two tests. What, what's the consequence? And Jesus here, he's laying out a little bit of a doctrine of hell or judgment, but not, but not much of one. And, and he, listen, this is one of the most difficult doctrines in all of Scripture, because often the way it's described is, you know, someone who's, who's sitting down to hell, and they're like, no, please, don't, don't, don't make this, like, forgive me, God. And God's like, no, you're too late, right? That's, that's how it's often described. But that's not at all the image you get here, and it's not at all the image you get in, in, of judgment throughout Scripture. Instead, uh, look at the rich man. Does he ever ask to get out? He asks for Lazarus to come down to him. <laughs> he, asks, he wants Lazarus to enter torment, but he doesn't ask to get out. Why not? And I think Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, helps us understand why. Here's what he writes. The very glory that is the fragrance of life to some is the smell of death to others. God's purpose is unfathomably kind. He will at last so spread his life, being and goodness, that he will be all in all. He will at last fill the universe with the light of his wonderful glory. He is all light, but that is terrible for those who love darkness. Now here's Reeves' point. God, who is the center of the universe is an other-centered, loving, gracious, humble being. Which means a being who is, who is self-centered, who is living for oneself, is going to hate God. Is, is living in a totally different universe than what God, who God is. And that type of person, a person who lives for themselves, indifferent to the poor, living in luxury for themselves, that, listen, they have no interest in a God of whom we read in Philippians, Jesus, who though he was God, emptied himself, took the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross, all for others. That type of God, that type of being is going to have no interest to someone who wants to live with themselves at the center of the universe. And if the center of the universe is a triune, others-loving God, then for, for many, a life of denying my own rights, denying my own pleasure, not living for luxury of myself, using my resources and my life for others, that sounds like hell. 
And that's exactly what you see in this parable. The rich man has no interest in leaving judgment. In fact, he's still ordering Lazarus around. First, it's, hey, Lazarus, I need some water, man. Come down, serve me. Then it's, hey, Lazarus, uh, my, you know, send him to, to tell my friends, to warn them of what's, what's going to come. Um, right? He's still ordering Lazarus. He still thinks he's the center of the universe. And also, the, the rich man blames others for his predicament. He says, listen, if I had just known more information, if someone had just told me this, then, uh, then I wouldn't be in this predicament. And Abraham makes clear, someone already did. The law and the prophets, it was all there. You didn't need more information. This isn't someone else's fault. You lived for yourself. You had your good things. And they didn't carry over the grave. So back to the question, what am I living for? If it is myself, there is only one eternal home that makes sense. And it's not... Where Lazarus is, is not at Abraham's side. It is not in the presence of a self-sacrificing, humble, others-centered God. C.S. Lewis understood this reality better maybe than anyone. In his little book, The Great Divorce, which is a book on heaven and hell, he, he writes this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those, not, those who knock, it is opened. What he's saying is if, if you don't want to live for yourself, if you're tired of living for yourself, if you're ready to open yourself up to a world where where others come first, where God is at the center, Lewis is saying you will find that home country. But if you live for yourself, you will get exactly what you want. More of you. And that's even worse than it sounds. And here's the thing. Every person who probably hears this already knows that. Right, the way to ask whether I'm self-centered or not is not to, to just be like, am I a self-centered person? That's not how you do it, which is why Jesus tells the parable the way he does and gives the two tests that he gives. Test one, is my life about getting pleasure? Is it about consuming? Is it about using the resources to get the life I want? That's test one. And test two is to ask, would the poor look at me, my use of my own resources, and say there is good news for the poor through that person? Those are the two great tests to determine what is it that I'm living for, myself or Jesus. Now listen, if that's where we ended the sermon, this like none of us are doing well right now, are we? I'm not, right? And this, I started this by saying, listen, I, am I even following Jesus? <laughs> that's where we need to end, which is, okay, we, we know now the cost of living for myself, which is, is awful, <laughs> So what's the cost of living for, for Jesus? And listen, maybe you're hearing this sermon and you're a little unsettled and you think this sounds like work salvation. So in other words, I know if I'm saved by uh, you know, how much I give away, how much money I give away, how much I, I, I give to the poor. That's what you're saying. Like that's work-based salvation. And, and that's not what I'm saying. And yet I'm also, I am saying that those are key indications of your posture towards God. That's what Jesus is saying here. 
You can't buy your way into heaven, but if you are on your way to heaven, that means you're going to be indifferent to luxury, to consumption. You're going to be heart wide open to the poor and to the vulnerable. So how does that happen? Well, the key in this parable is not, uh, you know, is 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 not just looking at um, uh, what happens after death. It's it's actually it's the name Lazarus. This is the only character in every single parable of Jesus that is given a name in all the Gospels. Lazarus. Lazarus, which means God helps. If that is the center of your being, God is my help. That changes everything. When you see that pleasure is not your help, we try to use so many things to, to fill us. And we live in a culture of endless opportunities and resources to fill us. Food, Netflix queue, drink, experiences, vacations, money, all of it. But the Christian is one who knows, even if I had all of that stuff, I can't fill myself. I'll never be full. Which is why the ancient Christian Augustine wrote, you must be emptied of that which you are full so that you may be filled with that which you are empty. We are full on luxury, but that dies with us. So in the words of the prophet Isaiah, why do we spend our money for that which is not bread? Why do we spend our money on labor which will not satisfy? Why do we buy a house so expensive that we have no margin left to live on? Why do we have car payments so large that we have no margin left to give away? Why do we continually consume and buy so that we have no margin left to give away? A Christian knows, I will not be filled with my next purchase. We see past that. We see past the lie of comfort and luxury. That is not our help. God is our help. But two, I also know the only way God will help me is if I see, man, Lazarus is me. Lazarus is you, spiritually. I am poor. I am spiritually lame. I have endless capacity to hurt others, to speak out of my own wounds, to say dumb things, and to live with myself at the center. My salvation story is not, I helped myself. My salvation story is God is my help. And when that's true of you, you will care deeply for the poor. For the socially poor, those with moral failures, you'll never look down on another person and think, I would never do what they did. How, how, how awful are they? You would never think that because you remembered you were at the gate. Spiritually poor. Right? So it, it changes our posture towards the social outcast, but it also changes our outcast to the, merely, to the materially poor as well, because uh, listen, I had nothing spiritually. I was empty and now I am full and I want to fill others with the resources I have because I've experienced that myself. 
Listen, I'm not kidding. When I, when, I, when I first started the study for this series, I genuinely wrestled with my own discipleship to Jesus. Am I actually building my life around the teachings of Jesus or am I building my life around myself? But that's not just because I was not giving enough money away to the poor, which I wasn't. And it's not just because I was, I was living for luxury, for comfort, for pleasure, which I was. The reason I wrestled with the teachings of Jesus so much is could I really embrace my own status as Lazarus? That I need help. And that God alone provides it. That I, a spiritual, spiritually helpless beggar living at the gate, actually had the gate opened to me and out came the richest person in the universe, the Son of God who came out to use his resources to heal me, to save me, to announce to me, I have good news. And not just to invite me in to eat from the scraps of his table, but to eat at the table with him. To hear his voice, I have good news for you. Come to me empty and I will fill you. And when you hear that voice, when you really hear that voice of that rich son inviting you to the table, your life will be poured out for the poor because you were poor and the rich man invited you to his table. Let's pray. God, that is, that is the gospel. And as I wrestle with my own love of money, my own indifference to the poor, my own struggle over, over comfort and luxury. God, would you, heal, would you open our ears afresh to hear an invitation from the Son of God who emptied himself to get us to the table. God, would you, would you make that voice loud for us so that we could hear and know and see there was good news for us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the whole reason we exist as a church is is for you to respond to that voice, which is Jesus. So if if you're, listen, if you're genuinely wrestling with, have I I ever made a a meaningful profession of faith? I'd I'd love to talk to you. Listen, I wrestle with that question. I'm sure you, you are wrestling with that question. Let's, let's talk. If you've never been baptized into the way of Jesus, we need to talk. And if you have, if, that's, if that is your story, um, may, may this morning be a call to you to go out fresh, to be filled with the love of God and to give yourself away to the vulnerable and to the poor. So with that, I want to leave us uh, with a benediction of the text I mentioned a second ago, which is Isaiah 55. I've used this often as a benediction um, text because it so uh, speaks to our own, our own uh, failure to go be filled with the, the, the life of God, the others-directed life of God. Um, so if you're comfortable, raise your hand to receive this benediction, Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has no money, Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. May you go in peace.